This is Calgary Today with Angela Cocott on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Welcome back, everyone. This is Andrew Lawton, guest hosting for Rob, and I guess now to guest hosting for Angela here on Afternoons on News Talk 770. Once we flipped over to that hour there, the whole uh, the whole thing I was supposed to say changed. So thank you very much for tuning into this final hour of the program here. You heard on the news there, Calgary police seized more than 35,000 fentanyl pills, a record drug bust. This is the largest fentanyl bust in Alberta. The second place was in Calgary a year ago, a year and a half ago, and that was 11,597 pills. Next to that, the largest was 3,200, then 2,800, then 2,771. So... With the exception of one previous one that had 11,597, this is the largest by a huge margin. So this says that fentanyl's here to stay. And I know that this is difficult. I said quite candidly a couple of moments ago that I did not even know what fentanyl was until earlier this year. And when we talk about the way that we treat addiction, the way that we treat drugs, the way that police are tasked with dealing with it, as well as other agencies, I wanted to speak with someone who has experienced this and come out on the other side of it, a graduate of a program that actually helps people with fentanyl addictions recover. It's called the Alberta Adolescent Recovery Center. They offer a program that goes up to a year in length for up to 30 people at a time, from 13 to 21. And one of the people who has gone through this is Tessa, who joins me on the line now. Tessa, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Hi, thank you. When you look at the numbers that we've seen this week out of Alberta, that uh, in the first 10 months of the year, 193 people died uh, because of this drug. As someone who had an addiction and is now on the other side of it, how do you feel about that number? I mean, what does that say to you? Um... I think it's crazy, actually, um, because, yeah, like when I first started using it, it wasn't as known. And now it's actually kind of nice that people do know the, like, the severity of it, right? And how many people actually are dying and how many people it's affecting in this world now. When so, you were using it, did you ever feel that you would go that way? Did you ever feel like that could have been you? Um, I didn't want to. I didn't want to commit suicide and die, but... I kind of figured I would die eventually, but I figured I would die happy because that drug made me very happy, or so I thought. And the or so I thought, I think, is the most important part of that. You know, I've dealt with, with mental illness of a different kind, depression and a suicide attempt, and I know that there is that a very distorted way of thinking where, you know, when you're looking back on it on the other side, you're like, how did I ever think that that made sense? How did I, did I ever think that that was happiness? And that seems like what you're describing there. Yeah, um, it was a false sense of happiness, definitely. I I thought my life was great on it when I was using it, and I didn't really see a problem with it until everything started coming crashing down, and that's when I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> Walk me through the timeline here. I mean, when did you first, and how did you first get exposed to it? Um, I first got exposed to it when I was, like late 18, maybe almost 19, and it was by an ex-boyfriend that had gotten into it before we really knew exactly what it was. Uh, we thought it was just kind of an Oxycontin. Yeah, just some fun party drug. That yeah. Have. yeah. And so that's how I first started, and then it went from doing it 
that time from saying I would never do it again. And then it was about a month or two months later, I did it one more time. And then it turned to every three weeks, two weeks, week. And then I was full on addicted to it. So you had that period of a couple of months between the first usage and the second, and then you obviously had a, a narrowing time window there. Did you feel like there was something wrong? Did you feel like there was a, an addiction at that point, or was it just, I, I don't need it, but I, I want it, so I, I know I can control it, so I'll take it now? Um, when I first used it, I didn't see the addiction in it um, because I could still not use it for weeks and be totally fine. But as I got more into it and then I started having to use it every single day, that's when I was like, oh, my body's reliant on it because I would withdraw and it just, I couldn't go on with my day. And that's when I did see a problem, but I didn't care about the problem. Oh, yeah, and, and that at that point is when you are addicted and when you're less likely to, to want to do anything about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. But so how, how long were you addicted? Um, I used fentanyl for about four years straight. I had a little bit of like clean time. Well, so I say like clean time of just not using it for maybe a month and then it would just keep on going back and forth. But it was four years straight. And when was it or how was it? I guess both are important that you decided, okay, something's not working here. Um, I think when I started losing the things in my life, my family didn't want me around, my friends didn't want me around, and I was just using it alone, sitting in my bedroom, and I didn't have a life anymore, and I was doing, like, just terrible things to get that drug, and everything was just based off of that drug. So this started when you were 18, you said? Yeah. Okay, and how old are you now? I just turned 23. Okay, you just turned 23. So this has been something that for you in recovery, a very recent thing. How did you eventually get into a treatment program? And what was it that made you do it? Because you said losing your family and friends. And I've talked to other people that have gone through that. And instead, they replaced them with people that are sort of enabling the addiction. And it sounds like that was actually a moment where you said, okay, well, I, I don't want to live like this. Yeah, I definitely um, did get rid of my family for a while. I put them on extinction because they weren't okay with what I was doing. And that's when I turned to, like, living the unhealthy lifestyle um, without my family around. And then coming into treatment, my family gave me an out. They said, go on the streets. We're not doing anything for you anymore. We're done or go into treatment. And I fought it for a couple days there. And then I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. It had been way too long. So I like knew I needed a change. And you went uh, right into the AARC recovery program, correct? Yeah. What did that look like? Um, at the very beginning of it? Yeah, what was the experience? I mean, you go in and, and you're still obviously, even though you've accepted it, I'm assuming a little bit resistant to a lot of the change that's being forced on you. Yeah, um, I wasn't very impressed at first, to be honest, because I was like, I could do this on my own. Um, but I'd tried that for so many years and it just didn't work. Um, so I think I kind of I'd, had hit like the end. I felt like it was the end and I didn't know what else to do. So coming in here, I was definitely still very delusional. I didn't see everything that was wrong in my life until them working with me and talking with me and going through my whole life and pinpointing things in my life and really like pushing me to stop being so delusional. And that's when I was like, what am I doing? And so I knew I had to stay and I needed to get this or else I would die. 
So when did you get out of it? Because I know you're described as a graduate of the program. When was it that you were able to finally take that step out and say, hey, I, I kicked this? Um, well, I was in here for eight months, and I've been out for about three and a half now. And I think it was maybe two, three months in where I stopped being so delusional, and I was like, I can do this. Like, I have this. Like, I need to do this for myself and for everyone around me. You started using fentanyl at a time when a lot of people, certainly in the mainstream, didn't even know about it. And I know you mentioned that at the beginning of the interview here. I mean, when you see these deaths and the uh, massive police busts that are happening, obviously it's bringing about more attention to it. Uh, but what was it that first motivated you to try it? I know you mentioned there was a, a guy involved with it. I mean, was it just, I know it sounds trite, but was it just a, a case of peer pressure? Um, I'm not going to say it's peer. it was peer pressure because I made the decision to do it. Um, I think I just didn't know how severe fentanyl was, so I just thought it was just going to be another, almost like a party drug, you know? Like, I, I didn't see how serious this actually was and how many people it was killing, because at that point, it wasn't killing very many people, because it wasn't as mainstream on the market until I started realizing. <laughs> so now when you look around and you see the awareness of it, you see this, uh, do you know if the makeup or I guess the, the look of what a fentanyl user is has really changed? I mean, are we dealing with people that were in the same situation that you were, you know, younger people looking for something that they think is going to help them party or that they think is going to be really harmless? Is that what we're seeing uh, as being the, the key sort of type of user? Um, I think now with more knowledge of it, um, I think people are using it. This is what's really sad, actually, is a lot of people already are addicted to, say, cocaine or, say, like, some other drug, and then it's just, like, a leap, you know? Like, oh, let's just try fentanyl because no one's really thinking about, like, the severity of it. But it wasn't a leap for you. It was really the entry, wasn't it? Yeah, it was definitely... I partied, I did cocaine, I did all of those other, so I thought, social drugs, and then fentanyl, I just used it once, and then it just went from there. <laughs> Was there ever a moment where you were or could have died from it? Was there ever a moment where you were so out of control with it, it was so out of control, that you were actually at a grave risk? Yeah, I remember I didn't see it, but my family saw it, and... So it was like a hectic time with my family because I would, I was doing like up to 10 pills a day and wow. I never knew if I would be able to like wake up one morning. Like, like you just never know. It's kind of like the cookie, right? And yeah, so I just never knew if I was going to wake up one day, but I actually just like didn't think that I cared then. Like I was like, I will die happy using this drug. What was the strain financially with 10 um, pills a day? It was hard. It was very, very, very hard. I was still working through some of it, but I lost jobs, and then I wasn't working, and so I would be doing just, like, terrible things to get that drug. Everything I did was to get that drug. So it was that stereotypical, all-consuming attitude. Everything is feeding that. Everything you do, every dollar you make, every decision you make, it was all to fuel that addiction. Oh, yeah. Like, I wasn't eating. I wasn't doing anything. Every, like, cent I had would go towards fentanyl. 
I know this gets to a bigger picture look at this now, and if you don't have the the answer, I don't know if anyone has the answer, so that's completely okay. Uh, but how do you think, as a city in Calgary, as a province in Alberta, we should be dealing with this now? Because obviously we can talk about funding addiction programs, which I think is very important, but for you, before you get to that program, you need to have that moment where you get that flash of, I need to change this. So, I mean, societally, socially, how do you think we can get people who are impacted to seek help, to want that change? Um, I think you really have to hit a rock bottom, and people's rock bottoms are different. Other, mm-hmm. My rock bottom is different than someone else's rock bottom, but I, I really think that your families do have to, like, push you, too, and kind of say enough is enough, and that's what really helped me is when I realized I didn't have anything else left is when I really figured out, like, I needed help. From a policing perspective, I mean, obviously this big bust taking 35,000 fentanyl pills off the streets, a good step. It's not going to make the problem go away, though. No. What will? Um, I think, personally, like, because, like I said before, too, like, it goes both ways, right? Like, if you're an addict, you're going to keep supporting those drug dealers, and they're going to keep supplying, and it goes back and forth and back and forth. So I think, sol- like, and, like, we're not going to be able to solve every addict's problems, right? Mm-hmm. But really pushing the long-term treatment, I think, will help so much because then that makes the drug dealers not be able to supply as much right like they would have no reason to supply if we're really helping the addict you said you're a few months out of the program now let's hear how things are going now work family friends where are you in your life um well i'm wanting to go to school next year back to university and that's something i didn't see for myself before like i didn't really care Mm -hmm. um my family they actually trust me when i leave the house these days with, like, cash is a big thing. They're, they don't think that I'm going to go buy drugs every $5 they give me or anything like that. Um, so I'm just a lot happier. Like, I have struggles, yes. Like, my life isn't absolutely perfect because I'm a normal, well, I'm a human being, but I can, I know how to get out of that stuff, which is something I didn't see before. So I'm just a lot more relaxed and a lot more, like, okay with who I am now. And it's a real happiness. Yeah, it's not a fake, false sense of happiness. Wow. And from here in Calgary? Hello? Are you from here in Calgary? Um, I'm from Vancouver, um, but I moved to Calgary two years ago. Wow. Well, so amazing to hear how things are going. I know that uh, when we talk about the numbers, obviously a lot of people don't end up on the side of it that you're on, and I'm so grateful you are. So thank you so much, uh, more importantly, for for going through that, but also for coming on to share about about it. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. All right. Joining me now is Tessa, a graduate of a recovery program aimed at young people with fentanyl addictions. That program is uh, such a necessary one. And you know what? It is the Alberta Adolescent Recovery Center. 30 addicted people they can bring in. Obviously, we need a lot more when we have the numbers across Alberta under 200, but barely dying in the first 10 months of the year alone. Have to take a break here. When we come back in just a couple of moments, more afternoons here on News Talk 770. I'm Andrew Lawton. Stay tuned. Calgary Today with Angela Cocott. Weekdays at 3 on News Talk 770 Calgary.